Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris. I'm co-founder of the online magazine, The Refined Woman, and my vision is to create a safe space where we can take off that Superman cape of having it all together and share our stories authentically and honestly. I really believe people are dying for the permission to be vulnerable, to just go there but it takes someone being willing to go there first. It's my desire to do just that and invite you and others to do the same by removing that shiny mask of perfection and courageously sharing the imperfect journeys of life, spirituality, love, business, and everything in between. I'm so glad you're here today. This is Kat Harris. I hope you're just having a wonderful and beautiful day. And I'm grateful that you are taking time out to listen to my podcast and this conversation that I had with Dr. Therese Moscardo. Dr. Therese, let me tell you a little bit about her. She is for real part Oprah, part Joanna Gaines, and part Anthony Bourdain. She is from Southern California and is a Filipina American licensed clinical psychologist, self-care and personal development guru, and consummate foodie. She's Berkeley educated and a mover and shaker with a drive for building community and entrepreneurship. Dr. Therese founded the LA Digital Nomads and is the CEO and founder of Exploring Therapy, a wellness community whose motto is build a life you don't need a vacation from. She shares about mental health, freedom from anxiety, travel, and discovery, and is so passionate about inspiring people to explore and live braver, healthier, more connected lives. Now, Dr. Therese has been a dear friend of mine for a few years, and something I love about her is how clear and applicable and practical her insight is. You know, it's one thing to talk about theory which can be great, but I always walk away from conversations with her with such tangible action steps. And I truly believe you will walk away from this podcast with multiple things that you can implement into your life today to support your mental health. So I can't wait for you to get to know Dr. Therese and adore her as much as I do. Welcome to another episode of the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris, and I am so thrilled to be talking to one of my dear friends and experts in the world of therapy, mental health, and pretty much everything in between that. Dr. Therese from LA. How are you doing today? (laughs) Hi. Oh my gosh. That was such a nice (laughs) intro. Thank you, friend. Um, I'm great. It's sunny in LA. Finally, it was raining a little bit earlier, but now it's sunny and I am well. Thank you. I'm so glad to have you on here. We've been friends for how long have we been friends now? I want to say four or five years, but I'm really with anything related to chronology, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, I, so it could be 20 years. We've known know. each other. You're like, we went to first grade together. Why don't you remember? <laughs> Which is not true. We did not go to first grade. But um, <laughs> no. we both knew each other. Well, I knew of you when I lived in LA, but it really wasn't until I moved to New York that we sort of connected and became sort of like social media friends. And then you totally let me sleep over at your house and you have the most amazing house in LA. Comfiest couch oh I've gosh. ever stayed Thank on. <laughs> I know we really do owe most of our friendship to Instagram mm-hmm. though. I, I have to give Instagram credit for stuff like yeah. that because I've met so many amazing women and connected and gotten deeper in friendship with so many amazing women and you're one of them. 
I love that. Go Instagram. Sometimes Instagram really comes in for the win. <laughs> totally. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why you're on here today. Um, first of all, I just love having my friends on here because I think my friends are some of the most world-changing people, and that is you. Um but you have such this unique gift as a therapist and you, I feel like the way you put things are so digestible. Like when you talk about mental health and when you talk about personal growth, when you talk about faith, dating, any of the topics, I feel like I always walk away with such practical insight where I'm like, oh, I can hang my hat on that. Like I can actually do something with that insight. Mm -hmm. Whereas I have felt like, a lot of times when I've talked with therapists or counselors or doctors, I've kind of walked away with a lot of like existential conversation <laughs> or theory that I'm like, well, that was great, but I don't really know how to apply it. And um, I just, I what I really appreciate about you and what I'm a, a, excited to get you on here is your practical insight about mental health. Thank you so much for saying that. That actually means the world to me because Part of why I started doing this is because I felt like therapy was so inaccessible and kind of academic and kind of like very heady. And um, one of the things I tell people is, you know, I want therapy to get away from that image of being the white dude with a beard and a cardigan mm -hmm. on a sofa with glasses, you know, mm -hmm. and just kind of the musty sofas and that sort of thing and really make it um, every day. And so, yeah, I, I feel like therapy has kind of gotten a bad rap or like kind of a bad brand, mm. so to speak. And I want people to know that therapy is so relevant in their lives and so life-changing um, that mental health conversations aren't just for very ill people, mm. but are, you know, we all have mental health. And so it's something we should be talking about. Yeah. And what I'm curious about is like, what is mental health? Like, I mean, I talk about it to in my life with my friends. We talk about mental health. And is mental health like a buzzword that has a, a risen up in the last few years? Was it referred to as something before we now refer to it largely as mental health? I've, I've been dying to question. ask you this question. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great question. I mean, mental health, you know, in my opinion, most simply is just all the things related to the health of your mind. And that includes a lot, it includes your emotions, your thoughts, you know, the actions that you choose, the people that you surround yourself with, everything related to how you think and feel. Mm. Um, but it's a great question. Is it a buzzword? Because I think the mental health movement and, you know, talking about mental health, the health of our mind, our thoughts, our emotions has really been getting more and more popular these days. And I'm so thrilled for that. As a field, though, the mental health field hasn't really been around that long. Um, you know, therapy as we know it has been around, give or take, 100 years. Um, so it's a relatively new science, and it's a relational, you know, human-based science. So there's a lot of elements that are included in mental health and psychology. Um, but I think with all the things that have been happening in our world lately, mm. you know, for example, the gun violence that's going on in our world, mm. and then the recent increase in celebrity suicides and overall the increase in suicide, um, I think that people are talking about mental health now more than ever. And to be honest with you, the conversation is so overdue. I just, 
even as you're saying that, I, I'm just like recounting in my head just what I've learned as a child about therapy and mental health. And I remember having a conversation with my dad a while back and I was talking about mental health and anxiety. And he was like, it's so interesting. Like when I was younger, I went to the doctor because he struggled with mental health and anxiety as well. And he was just told, you're just stressed out go on a walk or go on a jog or something. And that's just sort of what his doctor told him was that's what it was. Mm -hmm. Like, you're just stressed. Like, so I've just been, I've been curious about like, what is, what does it mean to be a whole person? What does it mean to be connected to my mental health? What does it mean to say, okay, maybe it's stress, but what else is that? What all does that encompass? And it makes so much sense when you talk about, I had no idea that therapy as we know it has only been around for a hundred years. Like, Mm-hmm. Like, I think maybe even less than that. That's wild. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's, it's relatively unknown, but I think as it becomes more mm-hmm. mainstream, thanks to things like social media, mm-hmm. honestly, that people are realizing just how important it is. And I mean, when I hear about your dad's story, I'm like, gosh, that's so terrible mm-hmm. because I think there's been a lot of minimizing, a lot of harm we've done to each other by telling people things like, just get over Mm -hmm. it, or, you know, why are you still feeling this way? All those sorts of things that are just not helpful. They're completely destructive. Mm -hmm. And things are changing now. I think there is more room for the conversation. I think people are breaking down the stigma. People are disclosing more about their own mental health concerns. Mm -hmm. I mean, one in five people are going to face a major mental illness in their lifetime. That's a lot, you know? And so we should, you know, we should be talking about it more. So, Kind of before we dive into mental health even more, I want to hear about you. Well, I already know a lot. I already know some of these things about you, (laughs) but I love how you have created this really unique way of living out your therapy practice. And I would just love for you to share with my audience, like what you're up to, why you're doing it, why you're choosing this like unique lifestyle within all of it. Sure. Yeah, it's, it's a little outside of the box, I admit. So yeah, so I'm a clinical psychologist and I'm the CEO and founder of a business that I created called Exploring Therapy. Exploring Therapy is a wellness community and we have one kind of singular focus and motto, which is to build a life you don't need a vacation from. Mm. And I think that concept is so needed in this day and age because in my own work, being a therapist now for over a decade, I kept noticing a theme, which is that people were living for their weekends. Can't wait for the weekend, TJIF, you know, living for the weekends when they weren't working. Mm-hmm. And they were also putting all of their kind of excitement, joy, hope into their two weeks of vacation in a year. And one thing, if you, you know, are familiar with other countries and how they do things, we have the least amount of vacation days per year of any culture, any country, I'm pretty sure. Oh. And so, the idea of living for two weeks a year just made me so, so sad. And I felt like, you know, gosh, we can't do this. Like we have to do something different so that we're able to find delight in our everyday lives and enjoy in the everyday. And if we're going to do that, there's probably some things we need to change about our Mm -hmm. attitude, our behaviors, our practices and whatnot. So that's a passion of mine. Part of my personal why though, Kat, Mm -hmm. um, you know, as you know, is that um, actually about 10 years ago as well, I lost my own brother to suicide and 
that was and is the most difficult thing I've ever faced in my life. And it was extremely painful and heart-wrenching and terrible in all the ways that you can imagine. I'm so grateful that I've gotten a lot of healing since then and I'm still standing. But, you know, depression, suicide, those things are so on my heart because of my own Mm -hmm. loss. And I'm personally motivated. I'm personally passionate about people always knowing that their life, that they and their life is valuable, that their life is worth living. And so I want to do everything I can so that people enjoy and delight in their lives. So they never have to question their own worth and their own value to the point where they would want to take their own lives. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I think that it reminds me of, I think it was Kim McManus that said, your story, your pain becomes someone else's freedom. Mm -hmm. And I just hear that so much in what you're saying. Like there's always like that, that message that we're living. And Erwin McManus said, (laughs) like, you want to know someone's like greatest struggle or their greatest breakthrough. Like, what are they talking about all the time? And that has been so true in my life about really fighting for the worth of women and identity and value. Mm -hmm. And that's been because that's been my biggest struggle. Like, am I worthy? Like, is do I have value? What is my identity? And wanting to share the message that I also need so badly with the world around me. That's so true. It's so mm-hmm. true. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I think it is so true. We often just speak what we need to hear mm-hmm. too. I think I've heard you say that in different ways. Um, It's also why I, you know, live my life the way I do, which is a little bit untraditional. As you know, I'm a full-time digital nomad and I have a 100% remote practice and online practice Mm -hmm. so that I can travel the world. And I think for me, that speaks to how when I was working in like a more traditional setting, a nine to five, I was feeling really kind of trapped and feeling just stuck Mm. And so getting to build my life this way has been so freeing for me because now I get to work while I travel. And so I no longer have to live with having to choose Mm -hmm. between do I make an income or do I get to like see the world? And I'm really, really grateful for that. And that's also why part of what I do with my business with exploring therapy is I love to inspire other mental health professionals to actually do the same thing. Cause it's like the number one question I get asked, right? Like, how do you do it? How do you work online hundred percent of the time and travel? And so I am really passionate about teaching others how to live a life like this because it is really pretty awesome. Yes. <laughs> and, and so where are some of the places that you have gone and like, where are you going? Oh, well, I mean, I, I love travel. So I've been fortunate to go to a few places. I just got back from Tokyo, which was really wonderful. And I'm kind of like, I'm a Europhile. I love Europe. I love the way of life there. I love bread. I love walking <laughs> and uh, public transportation. So yeah, I've been in London and that's probably my favorite city. Mm. Um, spent some time in Germany, uh, Spain, France. And then I'm going back to Portugal. I love Portugal. It's kind of like the California of Europe, but a lot more affordable. Mm -hmm. And so I'll be spending probably six months there this year. And it's, it's got great weather and wonderful people, amazing food. And so I'm really excited to make Portugal my home base when I go back to Europe. That is so exciting. And I guess the logistical part of my mind when you're saying that is... I mean, mm-hmm. I've, I travel a lot for work as well. And I guess over time for me, it's 
there's moments where I'm like, this sounds a lot more sexy than it actually is. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh, it's fine. I'm totally. like traveling today. I'll like work from the airplane and then there's no Wi-Fi or you mm-hmm. are in this beautiful place. And then you're like, well, I'm all alone. Um, so it's great that I'm in this beautiful yeah. place, but the Wi-Fi is spotty. So I can't finish my work and I have no friends. Um, that's how like yeah, I have felt. So are there, I mean, this mm-hmm. sounds like amazing and freeing, but are there also any like hard logistical or emotional things about doing it like this? Oh, 100%. Absolutely. Um, it can look so, so glamorous and in some ways it is wonderful, but you know, with traveling, there come a lot of challenges. I just wrote an article, a blog post on digital nomad Mm -hmm. depression. Mm -hmm. And so it was something that I kept learning about as I met other digital nomad friends And essentially it's this notion that when you go home, when you go back to your home country, you know, you can get hit with, it's not just the post vacation blues. That's different. That's like when you feel kind of down and you wish you weren't at work. Mm. This is like a very serious, you know, hitting almost all of the um, symptoms of depression type of experience because it's a reverse culture shock Mm. and you kind of feel like you can't find your place and you feel weird and awkward with the people that you used to know and the, and the world has changed, you know, when you go back home, you know, there's that notion of you can never go back home. And it's kind of true for a digital nomad. Everything is always changing and different and it can be quite jarring to do that. But I think gratefully, you know, I think it helps to work in mental health. I feel like I've kind of developed some best practices that have really helped me to thrive as much as possible Mm -hmm. when I'm in another country. So Um, yeah, for technology, I always have backup plans. I'll have backup methods for things like my own personal Wi-Fi hotspot. Mm -hmm. I'll have multiple devices. I kind of like to be in a country for at least a day or two and really get a lay of the land as far as the internet before I schedule clients. Mm -hmm. There's things like that that I look out for. And then for the emotional kind of relational side, I always try to get involved with meetup groups wherever I go. Um, because the digital nomad movement is so vibrant, there are digital nomad meetup groups everywhere in the world. There's a huge community, I think, of like 8,000 people in, in Lisbon, Portugal. Wow. Um, so I really try to, yeah, so I try to put myself out there, connect with like-minded people. Um, and then, of course, being um, a follower of Christ, I love to connect with a church wherever I am. Hopefully they speak English. That always helps um, when they have English services or translation services as they do in Portugal. But those two things really help to anchor me relationally in a place. Um, And then another thing that I think is so helpful is because of the internet, I talk about the internet as if it was just invented, but because (laughs) of what's available on the internet. internet. (laughs) The internet. Yeah. But because of what's available, um, you know, as far as Facebook groups and Instagram hashtag communities and things like that, you can really get connected to a community before you're even there. And so I'm really active in Facebook groups for expats in the cities that I'm traveling in and try to just really, really get involved in the, the daily conversations of people that are living there. And it's really helpful. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you're really doing everything you can do to set yourself up for success. And uh, I think that's like one of the I feel like that's like one of those things that can be like 2020 hindsight, you know, whether it's like you're going on a trip or Mm -hmm. having a hard conversation with a friend or moving cross country. You're like, oh, it would be good next time if I did this. And you're it's like you're (laughs) thinking about that and setting yourself up for success with traveling. And I had no idea that like being a digital nomad was like such a huge thing. 
It's a thing. Yeah, it is a Crazy. thing. And I'm grateful that, you know, it's only been around a little yeah. while, I think, as far as part of the mainstream mm-hmm. conversation. But I have to tell you, like, I've only learned these things because of all the mistakes <laughs> I've made and all the things that have gone wrong. So, you know, I've really learned from those things yeah. as well as learning from the people who did it before yeah. me. So, yeah, the conversation is really active now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I encourage everyone that gets the opportunity to do it to do it because it is such a great, like, education in life mm-hmm. to be. To, to live in another country, another culture. Yeah, that's so inspiring. I I just love that that is how that's how you're you've like chosen to create your life. I think it's it's super inspiring to me. Thank you. Yeah, girl. Yeah. Well, one of the reasons why we're having this conversation is because we're emailing back and forth about like other things. And then we started talking about the podcast and I was like, send me some different topics of like what we could talk about. And you sent me, um, how to Marie Kondo, your mental health. And I instantly was like, (laughs) okay, that is exactly what we have to talk about. I love it. Um, because I just feel like Marie Kondo and like tidying up your life is having such a moment. And, as soon as you sent that to me, I was instantly curious about what you were going to say. Like, how do you clean up your mental health? What does that even mean? (laughs) Marie Kondo is so delightful. And I think she was named one of the most 100 most influential people right now. Mm -hmm. So yeah, she is definitely having a moment to say the least. Yes, good for her. I mean, she deserves it. She's helping so many people spark joy in their life. Spark and joy. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I would just love to hear, I think you gave me like six steps to Marie Kondo, your mental Mm -hmm. health. And we've already talked a little bit about what is mental health and what that means. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just curious for you just to jump in and start telling us. Yeah, absolutely. So for people who aren't familiar with Marie Kondo, she is this tiny Japanese woman who wrote a book about the magic art of tidying up and it became a phenomenon. I think last I saw, she sold 4 million copies of the book. She's been on Netflix talking about her show, uh, talking on her show about tidying up. And people, because I think of the Netflix show, got even more obsessed with her Mary method mm. for organizing, for tidying your life. And so she really helps people who are feeling overwhelmed and stressed by their possessions, by their belongings, and helps them regain control of their life and you know, it's really beautiful because she talks about organizing, but she's really talking about life. Mm. And so I personally became familiar with her years, uh, a few years ago when I heard about her concept of sparking joy. And it was so helpful for me because I, I think I'm like a lot of people, my closet looks crazy. It's always in the state of like never being organized. (laughs) And so she really helped me streamline, you know, her concepts really helped me streamline what I, what happened in my world physically, Mm -hmm. like in my home, my closet, my physical space. And it really resonated with me also because that concept of sparking joy is so beautiful and simple. You know, does it spark joy? Does it make you happy? But also it's really been a part of why I shop for clothes the way I Mm -hmm. shop. So I try to only buy ethically sourced, sustainable clothing which means you're not buying a lot of it, you know, at the store where everything is $10. Mm-hmm. And I'm not judging people that do. I've loved those stores. You know, fast fashion was a big part of my life. But I find that as I focused on buying pieces of clothing that were meaningful and made thoughtfully and ethically and sustainably, that I just felt better. Mm-hmm. So 
that's kind of the impact that Marie Kondo has had on my life. And I also just realized it's so applicable to your mental health. So yeah, she has six rules for her method, Mm -hmm. for her Conmary method. And so yeah, the first rule is to commit yourself to tidying up. And how much does it apply to mental (laughs) health? It really does, right? Because first people have to make a decision that they want to be mentally well and mentally healthy. And that requires an awareness of what's going on for them. They, they actually have to get over their avoidance, um, their denial, all mm. the different coping mechanisms that we take on when we are feeling like we don't want to look in a certain space of our lives. You have to kind of bring those to attention and be willing to commit to a process. Mm. So that is her first step. Because if you don't do it, it's really hard to move on and work on the other things necessary for your mental health. Right. Even as you say that, it's like the it's like the first step is awareness and acknowledgement of, mm-hmm. all right, there's something is coming up for me right now. And how am I showing up? I want to like dig deeper. I feel like one of the hardest things to dig into is our own hearts. Like it's so easy to focus mm-hmm. externally or numb ourselves with Netflix or social media or relationships or whatever it is. Um, but to have that first step of saying like, I think something's going on here. Um, that seems... Right. And I think it's important to remember that coping mechanisms serve a purpose, Mm. right? So when we're avoiding something or when we're in denial about something, um, when we're postponing something or showing up late to something, there's always a reason. And so I don't have judgment for Mm. those things, but I think it's important to understand those things, to see them going on and to understand um, how we can move forward. Because a lot of times the reasons we're stuck aren't actually the reasons we're stuck. So I'll give you an example. I have... um, you know, clients that come in and they'll call and say they want to come into therapy, but they'll show up late for their Mm. appointment. And so it suggests that there's an ambivalence, that they're not fully gung ho about the therapy process. And, you know, when you're in mental health, as a mental health professional, you're trained to have kind, non-judgmental conversations about that. You know, like I noticed that you didn't show up on Mm. time. What might that be about? Mm. You know, so that we can kind of dig deeper and get to the heart of some of those things that are getting in the way of the actual work. So it's, it's very applicable to mental health, this idea of commitment. Like you actually have to be motivated and willing and, uh, to commit to therapy for it to work for you. So good and so true. I'm just like, yep, <laughs> yep. I just started therapy around a month ago and I... Good for yeah, you. It's been it's been really interesting and a, it's been a great experience. Um, but just to have someone like reflecting back non-judgmentally, but mm-hmm. asking questions and okay, what's that about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, tap, like just tap kind of tapping mm-hmm. in to what's going mm-hmm. on. Yeah. And I this may have come up in your own therapy. I'm curious if maybe you've experienced mm-hmm. this, but um her second rule is to imagine your ideal lifestyle, mm-hmm. which is really all about visualization and visualizing is really, really important for you to be able to get to where you want to go. And when I say visualizing, what I mean is it's not just kind of lightly thinking about something, but it's actually being as concrete and specific as you can in your um, thoughts about what you want and what you want to see. So it's not just that you don't want to be depressed anymore. You don't want to be anxious anymore, but you visualize your life where you're able to, for example, go into a public space Mm. and feel completely at peace Mm. and not feel an ounce of anxiety that you can imagine yourself going on a first date and being able to take deep breaths 
and feel confident in yourself and feel grounded in who you are and feel excited about that date instead of feeling anxious or Mm self-conscious. And the more specific you get with your visualization through going through your five senses even, right? Um, Being able to imagine what you see, what you smell, what you touch, you know, what you hear all makes the visualization more powerful Mm -hmm. so that you can actually make that future happen for yourself in the work that you do. So I love that she says, imagine your ideal lifestyle, because a lot of times we don't even really think about where we want to go, or we have some very vague idea of what we want, or, and I know I do this a lot, we think about what we don't Mm -hmm. want instead of what we do want, which isn't that helpful. Right. Oh my gosh. I this one really resonates with me because I've I'm huge on goals and I on strength finders I'm an achiever enneagram I'm a three I'm a performer mm-hmm. I'm like action oriented and so I've I've been very clear for a long time here's what I want here's where I'm headed here's what I want in a relationship but I really mm-hmm. really struggled with imagining the outcome that I wanted. Like, for example, um, when I would get in, when I was a college tennis player, as much as I wanted Mm -hmm. to win the match, it was like I always imagined myself losing it first. And when I, in the past, would get asked to speak at a conference or at a church or wherever, I would initially, the first thing I would do is imagine me blowing it and doing terrible and losing my place. (laughs) And it was so anxiety inducing for me. And that was one of the hardest things was to like regain traction over my mental thoughts. And I realized through therapy that I, it's like because of my past and certain things that I grew up with in my family, I was afraid to hope. And so I was always waiting for the other shoe to drop. And because of that, then I would plan for the worst so that if anything Mm -hmm. less than the worst happened, it would be like this weird, pleasant surprise. (laughs) And I just felt like this is such an exhausting way to live. Like, like God help me like reimagine what hope looks like. And so one of my prayers in this last year was God redeem hope for me because I don't Mm -hmm. want to just visualize the worst case scenario. And I don't know if anyone else has struggled Mm -hmm. with anxiety, but that is sort of where a lot of the genesis of of anxiety started for me is like all I could see in my head were these like far-fetched worst case scenarios. Kat, obviously, you know, that's so relatable. And um, so many of my clients that I work with do have anxiety. And I know you talk about it a lot. And I think one thing that has helped many of my clients is when I remind them that your anxiety, or specifically the place in your brain where anxiety takes place, which is the amygdala, is the guard dog of your brain. And it's trying to protect you. Mm -hmm. And so it's easy to hate on your anxiety Mm -hmm. and be like, oh, this is so inconvenient. Mm -hmm. But I think when you understand that anxiety is trying to protect by anticipating, Mm -hmm. it's trying to protect by saying, hey, this could go wrong, that it's a little bit easier to have a healthier relationship mm. with your anxiety and adjust it so that it doesn't have to show up as much. Because commit, you know, having power over your anxiety is actually being able to say like, hey, I see you there mm. and I appreciate what you're trying to do, but actually I got this mm. and I don't need you to bark at that. I don't need you to sound the alarm for that threat because it's actually not a threat. Yeah. you know. And so that's really powerful to mm. be able to notice your process where you're seeing that you're, you're summoning to mind all the things that can go Mm -hmm. wrong. And instead to switch that to actually giving your brain a chance to think about all the Mm -hmm. things that could go right. 
right? That's so powerful. Um, and also, you know, a lot of times in kind of the, the self-care uh, wellness community, you'll he- you're, you will hear people talk about the concept of manifesting. Mm-hmm. Manifesting is the same thing. It's visualizing. It's powerful visualizing of what you want. Um, for my clients who are dating or who are looking for finding their special someone, you know, one of the most powerful things you can do, I think, is to start writing down what you want to see in a partner and, you know, also writing down what you are willing to work through, what challenges are going to happen and what you're willing to work through. But also, you know, what is your Friday night going to look like? And what's it going to look like when you have your three kids to, to really take the time to picture, not just what he looks like physically, but what are his values? What's his family like? Not so that you have a checklist of comparison where you can date people and say, you have all the hundred things on my checklist, yeah. but just so that you can really make that real for yourself. Because a lot of times we don't know. So a guy comes and dates us and we go, you seem pretty nice. Mm-hmm. Like you've got pretty decent qualities. Yeah. I think I can picture my life with you. And we try to force that person to fit into our picture of what we want in life when really we should be m- making sure that they fit what we already know would be healthy for us and who would be a good match for us. Yeah, I think that's that's such a good point. And I've had different parts of my journey in singleness and dating where, you know, I've been like, well, God, whatever you want, like, you know best. I'm not gonna, you know, I've been wrong mm, in the past, mm-hmm. so I don't trust myself. And then getting to a place where, I like finally was like, actually, I can trust myself and still hold in Mm -hmm. one hand and the other hand say, God, you also know best. And it's actually Mm -hmm. important for me to think intentionally about this, just as I am intentional about, all right, well, if you want to be a doctor, what are the steps to that? What does that look like? What will that, what's that lifestyle mm-hmm. going to be like? I think with dating, we're just like, well, if, if God's going to do it, God's going to do it. Bye. Like, <laughs> <laughs> It's a very passive outlook yeah. on the whole thing. And Kat, you know that I used to work in ministry. And when I was invited to be a pastor, I was relatively new in my own faith walk. And one of the most empowering things that I think helped me was realizing that following God's plan for your life is not balancing on a Mm tightrope, but it's this idea of co-creation, like that God loves to create with us. And that's a lot more empowering and a lot Mm -hmm. more fun, right? To get to say, hey, we get to do this together. I get to have a vote and a say in what my life looks like, but I'm going to be connected to God and listening to also what His voice is saying, you know? So it's not just God's way or Mm -hmm. our way. It's what's my way together with God. I love that. That's so good. I just wrote that as a note. I was like, yes. (laughs) Thanks. If you know anything about my style, it's this simple and minimal. I love feeling feminine and put together, but I hate when things feel fussy, y'all. I spend literally less than 10 minutes on my makeup and want to get ready with the least amount of time and drama involved. So when it comes to jewelry, I have a similar mindset, simple, minimum, and feminine. I like having a few key pieces that are versatile and can go with most anything. That's why I'm so excited about my partnership with Ana Luisa Jewelry. I'm currently wearing some fabulous gold hoops by them that I love because honestly, you can wear them with anything. I even wear them sometimes for a cycle class at the gym when I need that extra little oomph. 
Not only do I love the minimalism of their pieces, the quality is super high because their products come from the same jewelers as Tiffany's and Louis Vuitton, yet their price point is super approachable because they're able to eliminate the retail markup since they're online. They're also socially conscious about their imprint on the environment, which I really appreciate. They use 100% recycled gold in their products since it takes 20 tons of earth mining to produce a single ring of gold. Isn't that wild? Okay, so I want you to go check out Ana Luisa Jewelry. That's A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A.com. And be sure that you use this special link to get $10 off your purchase at the cart. That's analuisa.com slash the refined collective. So that's Anna, A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A.com slash the refined collective for $10 off your purchase. Okay, rule three is finish discarding first. In other words, get rid of the clutter before you start to organize and make a plan. And I think this is so applicable to what it looks like to be mentally healthy. We got to get rid of the baggage and we got to get rid of the things that are weighing us down. You know, earlier on, you talked about being mindful. So it's actually paying attention and taking a look at the things that are in your life. And Marie Kondo is, takes this really seriously. She talks about how you're supposed to physically hold, physically touch every single item you possess and start to take a look at how it makes you feel. And so it got me thinking about this concept of what makes something a possession and what makes something baggage. And the, what I realized the difference is, is possessions are things that you own and baggage is what owns you. Oh, snap. (laughs) Can you repeat that? (laughs) Yeah. Possessions are things you own and baggage is what owns you. There are things in life where we keep them around for a whole slew of reasons, but really they're not adding to our life. They're not enhancing our life or Mm. making us better. We're not really even choosing them necessarily. And, and so baggage, getting rid of those things, and it could be things, it could be thought patterns, it could be people, relationships, getting rid of that baggage is so, so important for us to be able to move forward in a way that optimizes our ability to pursue mental health. How do you identify that baggage? Like what, what is that, what does that look like? It's a great question. I think, and I'll talk about this more a little bit later too. Mm -hmm. I think we need to treat our emotions as valuable consultants in our lives. And one of the things that I tell my clients is treat your emotions as consultants, but not as CEOs. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we let our emotions kind of run the show and that's not always really helpful. Mm -hmm. But if we actually open up and listen to our emotions instead of doing what many of us do, which is shutting them down, treating them like like they're not valuable. You know, if we really listen to emotions as valued consultants, it can take us really, really far. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the ways you can start to identify your baggage is by asking really simple questions. Like, how do I feel when I'm around this thing or this person? or this dynamic, or this office space, you know? And Mm. is this adding to my life? Is this adding value? Mm. Does it serve me well? These types of questions, I think, really start to help us think critically about the purpose of why we keep something around. Mm. That's really insightful, doctor. Oh, thanks. Dr. (laughs) Therese, that's super insightful. I got you. You got me. Yeah. 
right. there's also this concept, if I can share this other concept. Yes. Um, so Marie Kondo has this concept of someday items. And I thought this was Ooh. really powerful. So it's when we look into, and in her, in her work, of course, she talks about your closets, your garages, but for your mind, think about when we look into our relationships and our work environments and the places where we put our energy. And if you find yourself saying, someday I will need this item, therefore I should hang on to it. You know, what are the items in your life like that where you Mm. just keep waiting for it to be okay? And I think what we do relationally is we have someday people. We have people that we hold on to because of their potential. We think, you know, one day they will be the person that I want them to be, or, you know, eventually they'll come around Mm -hmm. and instead we are hurting ourselves, right? Because we're hurting ourselves because we are expecting things that we're not going to get, but also it's dishonorable to the other person. Mm -hmm. It's dishonorable to the situation because of those unfair expectations. And so by choosing to let go of those someday items, those someday people, those someday things, we free ourselves up to be open to the things that will be more fruitful in our lives in the here and now. Gosh, that's so good. And I I even think of, gosh, how many women out there, and I'm sure guys too, but what I've done, when you said someday people, what came to my mind is relationships and ambiguous friendships that I had with so many guys, especially in my 20s. Mm. I've really tried to tidy that up in my 30s. But guys, uh, me too, girl. girl, Oh my gosh, (laughs) all these ambiguous friendships. I was like, why am I always in the friend zone? And because in a sense, I was saying, well, maybe someday he'll change his mind about me. Maybe someday Mm -hmm. he'll become attracted to me. Maybe someday he'll view me as more than a friend. And so Mm -hmm. I would try to jump through these invisible hoops and try to woo the person over who just wasn't that interested in me because I thought, well, maybe someday Mm -hmm. they just need a little bit more time or name the excuse I had it. Um, Right. And that wasn't, that wasn't serving me. And I, I, I kept guys in my life for way too long just because oh gosh, I was so too. insecure. I thought, well, something feels better than nothing. And maybe someday I'll be worthy enough that they'll change for me. I'm, I'm so with you there. And I can relate to that because I'm an extremely sentimental person. Um, I'm a two on the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. So I'm just very people oriented and love helping people. But it would hurt me to hang on to things that were someday things and someday people. And Marie Kondo actually says something that I think is even more, um, more of a wake up call. She says, when you hang on to someday things, it strips them of their dignity. And I think when you treat yourself like a someday person, you're stripping yourself of your own dignity. And I think this realization in my own life, which I think did come sometime in my mid to late twenties as well, has been so helpful because I think I felt like I was abandoning people mm. when I let them go. I think it, it made me feel like, oh gosh, you're so selfish. You're a bad person to let them go. Now my mindset is a little different and I think it's more fair, which is that letting them go when it's the right thing to do serves me and serves them mm. and that they're going to be the perfect friend or the perfect partner for someone else. And if I hang on to them, then I'm kind of keeping the stuck energy around myself mm. and them. But by letting them go, it frees us both to move closer toward the future and the relationships that we were meant to have. So it's really an act of kindness and it's a gift to each other. That just convicted me that I need to let someone go. Oh my God. 
okay. Okay, great. This is turning into a cat's therapy session with Dr. Therese. <laughs> um, I, I like the idea of it being about kindness mm, because truly so it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be a pushing or shoving of someone mm-hmm. away. It doesn't have to be about devaluing them. Mm-hmm. It can be about valuing That's them, right. but also seeing, hey, sometimes this isn't a fit right now. Mm-hmm. I think even, you know, especially for women in their 20s and 30s, we're going through a lot of stages where we're changing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes someone that you were so close with in one season of your life, you might just find that you're kind of drifting apart in another season. Mm-hmm. And I think you have two options. You can either honor that and kind of in your mind and heart, let that person go. You don't have to have a formal letting go process necessarily, unless you think you do, or you can choose to cling. I I hate that word cling. I Mm -hmm. feel like it sounds exactly like like what it is. Like, (laughs) it's very queasy, but you know, if you cling on to it, what ends up happening a lot of the times is just gets more and more awkward and uncomfortable and it has this ending that doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you can choose in your heart to let something go, it feels peaceful and kind yeah. and hopeful, right. I think. And then you're taking ownership over it as well. So you're like not a victim to the circumstance. You're not a victim to the relationship. Yes. I, I'm choosing from a place of honor and dignity to let go. And that's different than like being stuck or clingy or not wanting mm-hmm. or avoiding. Um, it's kind of taking ownership for how I'm showing up then. 100% yes, Kat. And I'm mm-hmm. so glad you said that because I, I think a lot of times in life, because we're afraid of the confrontation, because we're afraid of hurting people, we end up just kind of not taking ownership, right? And almost sometimes waiting for things to happen to mm-hmm. us taking that back seat on our lives and saying, okay, well, I'll just wait for them to make the first move. Mm-hmm. Or I'll wait for them to, to let go first. And no, we should take that ownership yeah. because it's empowering and because it's healthier to do that. Right. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Um, okay. Let's go to rule number four. Rule number four is tidy by category, not by location. Mm. And here's what I take this to mean when it comes to mental health. It means to approach things systematically, intentionally, you know, with a Mm. sense of what takes up the most space Mm. and addressing those things first, and then moving on to things that maybe don't take up as much, much space, but are still important. So when you think about mental health, it's not something you just do willy nilly, right? Mm. It's, it's more effective if you have a strategy and a system. And I think that's why therapy is so great because therapists can help you come up with a, a plan um, towards reaching your goals. So I, I love having a plan. I think in life, we need lots of different guides to help us get to where we want to go. A therapist is usually the person who can hear your struggles, hear where you want to be, and then say, okay, here are the steps we're going to take. You know, first we're going to learn coping skills. Then we're going to learn this and Mm -hmm. then we're going to learn that. And so, uh, when, when you think about the concept of what Marie talks about with tidying by location, this is usually when you're like, okay, I'm going to start with my bedroom then I'm going to do my closet and then I'm going to do my bathroom. It's, uh, I get why that makes sense. But when it comes to our, our mind that I think looks like when we deal with problems, when they just show up in front of us, Mm. right? So instead of being proactive, we're being reactive, like, oh, here's a problem here right now. So I'll deal with this problem. And then I'll, oh, another thing showed up and I'll deal with that problem now. If there's not a lot of intention and strategy behind that. And so it can feel very survival mode. Mm-hmm. 
versus, hey, I'm taking control of my life and moving forward in that way. That makes so much sense. And (laughs) even as you said that, I was like, yeah, I clean. I'll always start cleaning by location. And then I'm (laughs) like, going from room to room. And so that that makes a lot of sense. I think, especially with what we're talking about mental health, at least for me, mm-hmm. I didn't really start addressing it until it was, it felt like my house was on fire. And then oh, it was yeah, like, I totally. was at a place where it was like, all right, all systems shut down. We got to deal with this now. And now that mm-hmm. I've been really working on my mental health, um, in my like mind, body, spirit for the last few three plus years, um, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, what is going to set me up for success? Like what are, when does the like fire alarm batteries need to be changed? You know, when is it beeping? Mm-hmm. Like knowing kind of like, what are, what are the things that um, are going to set me up for success as opposed to like, I, I, when I was in that crisis mode a few years ago, I was like, okay, so how can we avoid being in this place again? Not to say there's not going to be crisis again, but Mm -hmm. there is going to be crisis again. And how can I approach that from like a, a a better place? I think you're so not alone because a lot of us complain about being busy. Mm -hmm. One of my personal things that I'm trying to really adhere to is to stop glorifying busy Mm -hmm. because I think I've done it so much in my life. And when you're busy, when you feel busy or overwhelmed, it's easy to have excuses for why you haven't been more intentional, Mm -hmm. you know, and to just live your life waiting for red flags to show up before you deal with those things. Mm -hmm. But I've come to understand that allowing yourself to look down the road and plan ahead is one of the biggest gifts that you can give yourself. And so I frame that to my clients by talking about how you can serve future you the best, Mm. you know, what ways you can do, make choices now that serve yourself the best in the future. And I think that's really helpful. And by the way, this also made me think of something else related to dating. Mm. I know you like talking about dating, so I'm going to bring it back there. Whenever you want to bring it up. (laughs) So when you think about tidying by category, not by location, So a lot of times in therapy, we'll focus on like the current relationship a person is in. So um, a woman might tell me about her current dating life, a person she's um, currently seeing, but it's so powerful when you're able to zoom out just a little bit and look at the overall just outlook and category of dating Mm. and look at all of your relationships and try to identify patterns and things that went right in your relationships and things that maybe didn't go so right. Mm. When you do that, it's so much more powerful than just looking at the tiny cross section of like your current relationship Mm -hmm. right now, because then you start to be able to make changes toward the things that are patterns in your life, right? Things that are recurring and keep showing up. And, and so you can do that for a lot of things. I think sometimes we get so myopic. We think about my job challenge right now, mm-hmm. my, my financial situation right now. Totally. But when we allow ourselves to go, okay, what are, what's the big picture? What are the patterns? Mm-hmm. What are the themes that I'm seeing? And what are the ways I can address those themes? It can actually be much more powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when, when you're saying that, I'm thinking of how for most of my life, I was dating, basically I was dating the same person over and over and over again. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't until I paused and was like, okay, what's this really about here? And for me, Mm -hmm. I was working out all my daddy issues on the men I was dating. And so I was, because I hadn't healed that 
father that relationship with my dad and hadn't done really deep dives there, I was trying to Mm -hmm. heal it with every single interaction I had with a man. So then I'm like going to men, do you want me? Am I worthy? Will you stay for me? Will you change for me? Like all of these questions. And one of my other friends says that until you like learn your lesson and stop playing with a fire or break the pattern, like God, because mm-hmm. God is kind, will allow you to keep experiencing this thing until you until you learn and grow from it and are ready to move on. And mm-hmm. I had never heard that. And at first I was like, I don't know how I feel about that. But I I saw that pattern in my own life. And I was living in narratives like, well, like I'm always the friend, not the lover, or I just always date guys that are jerks, you know, or whatever, whatever Mm -hmm. those things were, as opposed to, I think so much of what I'm hearing you say is like pausing and, and zooming out long enough to be able to identify and then take responsibility. Cause I can't take responsibility for how other people are showing up, but I can take responsibility for how, what I'm, how I'm, what I'm bringing to the table and and how I'm showing up with my decisions. That's right. That's so right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Perspective is so powerful and that's why therapy, good friends, great community pastors can be so good for us Mm -hmm. because they help us get the perspective. We need to see things that are harder for us to see because we're so up close and personal with our own lives. Mm -hmm. And actually there's this book called getting the love you want. And it is such, I think the author's name is Harville Hendricks. I hope I remember that correctly. And there's an exercise in the book that helps people to uncover their patterns, uncover Mm -hmm. the the things that they're not even realizing they're doing that are not serving them. And I do this exercise in therapy with my clients and they consistently say it's one of the most powerful exercises they've ever done because the way that the exercise is set up, and I don't want to go into it too much because if people want to do it, I want it to be powerful for them. And you can't really do it twice. Once you know how it works, Mm -hmm. you can't redo it. Um, but it's, it's powerful because it helps you see your patterns without you even realizing mm-hmm. that you're doing it. And once you realize what your patterns are, then you are empowered to be able to choose differently mm-hmm. for yourself, right? Like now that you know that you used to have some um, negative core beliefs that weren't even true, right? Some thought distortions. Um, you're able to choose differently for yourself when those thoughts come up. And once you realize you have, you know, whatever daddy issues you were trying to work mm-hmm. out, you can see those in the guys you're dating and go, you know what? No, that's not working mm-hmm. for me now. I'm choosing differently. Yeah. And so it's also a very empowering exercise to be able to one, see what's going on, but then also to be able to choose differently mm-hmm. for yourself. Oh, that's so important. That's so, that's so good. All right, let's go on to rule number five. Okay. So rule five is follow the right order. So Marie Kondo has this order that she suggests that we declutter things and it starts with clothes and then goes to books and then miscellaneous and whatnot. But if we apply this to our mental health, following the right order really means prioritize, Mm -hmm. prioritize the tasks that you're taking on for your mental health and focus on the things that move the dial the most. Mm -hmm. So let me give you an example. Someone might want to work on their unresolved childhood issues related to their mother, (laughs) for example, but that is really not the most important thing to think about if let's say they currently don't have a roof over their heads and don't have the financial means to support themselves, Mm, right? There is a priority to things. And obviously 
your physical health, right? Having food, shelter, and clothing is, is really important. But when you have all those things, then I think the next most important thing is your self-care. And I know self-care sounds like a buzzword. People talk about it a lot, but it's really that idea of the airplane, you know, oxygen mask and that you put yours on before you put someone Mm -hmm. else's on. But there's so many times where we don't do this in life, you know, and we pour energy into things that actually aren't moving the dial the most Mm -hmm. and they can then serve as distractions, even good things. So even the idea of helping people um, can not serve us well if it's a distraction and if we are not paying attention to things that are more pressing. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, think about what things for you take up the most space, but are, are really the most pressing. Um, I often suggest to people, you know, work on your relationship with yourself first and it doesn't have to be perfect, but at least heal some of those things so that you're ready for a healthy relationship. Mm. Oftentimes people don't do that though. They want to start with the relationship piece and be in a healthy, loving relationship, but they haven't done anything to spend energy on working on themselves and the things that you know, need healing in their own lives. Mm-hmm. And then we wonder, why are my relationships not working well? <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's because I, I always take that quote from uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower. We accept the love we think we deserve. Uh-huh. And so true. I remember think, uh, being 19 years old, neck deep and an eating disorder, thinking this will all disappear once I finally meet a guy who thinks I'm beautiful or accepts mm-hmm. my body the way it is. And that's just so mm-hmm. not true. Like then we're putting our healing as someone else's responsibility. And mm-hmm. it's also not setting them up for success. It's like I can't put my healing in someone else's hands in that way. No, because it treats them like God, mm-hmm. right? It makes that relationship an idol mm-hmm. and it's not fair to them, right? No one can take the pressure of being someone's everything. Mm-hmm. But I do think, I don't know if it's our culture these days or or what media, whatever, but I think we often look for magic pill solutions. Yes. We look for the panacea, the thing that can just solve everything. Mm-hmm. And we spend little time looking inward at the things that are right under our nose, mm-hmm. the things that we can control to find health and healing. And the relationship with yourself is directly related to the quality of relationship you're going to have with another person. Mm-hmm. And there's no way that you can have a healthy, thriving relationship with another person if you are neglecting yourself yeah. or if you are you know, constantly putting yourself last. Um, unfortunately though, and I hope I, I mean, if I can just be really candid, I think that unfortunately there are some places in the Christian community Mm -hmm. that teach a really dysfunctional um, perspective on serving other people. Mm -hmm. And they tend to make self-care, they treat self-care like it's a selfish thing Mm -hmm. and it couldn't be further from the truth, right? And so there's this notion of like, be the martyr, like Mm -hmm. sacrifice everything for other people. Um, I heard a story once and I don't know how true it is, but I heard a story about Mother Teresa Mm -hmm. where she was serving at like her soup kitchens in Calcutta and she being the loving selfless person that she is kept giving up her meal and giving it to someone else. And what happened is she kept doing this and of course not getting the nurturance that she needed. I think she fainted one day or passed out or whatever. And they said, you need to feed yourself so that you can feed thousands of others. Mm. And I thought that was such a poignant story 
just uh, this notion that by taking good care of ourselves, we're actually able to optimize what we can give and contribute to other people. It makes us better in every single way. So, you know, to kind of turn on on its head that notion that you have to have really unhealthy boundaries right. to serve other people well. Um, yeah, that that's not going to fly if you want to be mentally healthy. Oh my gosh, I I'm so glad you brought that up because I that's something that um, has been so confusing to me as a Christian for throughout the years because I would read verses in the Bible like love your neighbor as yourself, and it was mm-hmm. like the teaching in the church or at the Bible study or from the mentor was stopped at love your neighbor, serve, 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 put everyone above yourself, everyone above yourself. But what's implicit in that sentence and in that teaching is that I love myself. So what does it Mm -hmm. look like to love myself? Well, and it's, I love the, what you, how you mentioned the oxygen mask on the airplane. Like Mm -hmm. that's the best, that's the best like picture for that. If I can't breathe, I can't help anyone. Mm-hmm. If I don't have oxygen, mm-hmm. but yet there we have this weird culture where it's like don't think about yourself, it's bad to think about yourself, like be outward focused. Well, if mm-hmm. if I am not well, I can't think of any if I I can't think of others. If I don't love myself, I can only give what is overflowing out of my heart. I don't love myself. How can I love others fully? And I know it's not just you that has dealt with these questions because so many of the Christians that I serve in my therapy practice were essentially rehabilitating their attitudes, their outlooks, their mindset Mm -hmm. when it comes to serving other people because it was so unhealthy. Mm -hmm. And it was to the point where, you know, they were not taking care of themselves at Mm -hmm. all, feeling resentful, feeling bitter. And they're going, you know, this doesn't feel mm-hmm. good. Like this isn't, this is, I don't think this is what it's supposed to right. be. And so, yeah, I'm grateful for conversations about boundaries. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of the boundaries content that's written by Dr. Henry cloud mm-hmm. and Dr. John Townsend. I talk about it all the time, yes. but I think that's why their content was so revolutionary, mm-hmm. especially when it was released because Christians hadn't really heard this idea mm-hmm. of having boundaries and saying no. They're like, wait, what? Right. I can say no. Yeah, I'm allowed to. Mm-hmm. Well, Jesus said no a lot, know. so <laughs> we're supposed to be like him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Um, all right. So let's go on to the final one. I'm so excited about this one. Okay. So last rule, I love this one too, is ask yourself if it sparks joy. So as we mentioned earlier, we talk about this idea of using your feelings as a guide, not ignoring them, and really consulting with this question of, you know, does it serve me well? Does it make me happy? Also dishonoring to the voice God has given us and to the spirit inside each of us. That is so wise, I think, when we allow ourselves to mm. listen to it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's super powerful. It's and it's it's like the whole um I struggled with trusting myself for a really long time and I thought I had to look externally, Mm -hmm. but if I'm created in the image of God and I'm connected to God, then there is actually something inside me that can also connect with, with God myself and not just like get the external committee around me to tell me all the things that I need to be Mm -hmm. doing, what I should be doing, what I, what I could be doing, shoulda, woulda, coulda from the external sources. Not to say that it's bad to Mm -hmm. have that, um, mentorship and wisdom and discernment speaking into your life, but that also because we are made in the image of God, we also have access to to wisdom. 
Yes. Shout out to the Holy Spirit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. But it's true. I mean, I think unfortunately there are so many factors in our lives as we grow that tell us Mm -hmm. not to trust ourselves. And for women, I think it's actually even more severe because we're, we're put into this battle with our own bodies, which makes me so Mm -hmm. upset that, you know, there's so much that we're taught about all the things that are wrong with us. And, you know, if you followed me for some time, you might know that I'm a big fan of the body positivity Mm -hmm. movement. I'm a big fan of intuitive eating. Those concepts essentially just get us Mm -hmm. back to ourselves and they get us back to listening to our, our bodies and our minds and our hearts and our spirits, trying to really connect with what feels right Mm -hmm. and true for us. And I find that in the work that I do with clients, we've just been so trained not to listen to those things that it's, We have to relearn how to reconnect Mm. with our own feelings and instincts and our gut. But when we do, it's amazing how powerful that is because there is so much wisdom um, Mm. inside of us. Yeah, I just, I'm like nodding my head. Yes, yes, agreeing that you, you said it perfectly. Dude, I owe it all to Marie. But no, I really, (laughs) I do love her stuff because I think she's so good at helping speak to the space of overwhelm Mm. that's happening in most Mm -hmm. people's lives. And I think honestly, most of us have some, level of anxiety going on. It may not be completely clinical, but I think anxiety is something that we all deal with. And so to feel like there's a process and to feel a little less overwhelmed because there's a plan is so helpful. And she's so good at that. She's so good at helping us to kind of clear the clutter in our minds and feel that we can do it and that it's possible. And the best part is if you ever do this process for yourself, whether whether it's with your physical Mm -hmm. items or your, your mental space, you feel so Mm. amazing. You feel so free. You feel lighter and you feel like, you know, your, your life feels better and more effective. And one of the things that you experience when you're a digital nomad, going Mm. back to that for a moment is you, you live your life essentially out of Mm -hmm. a suitcase. And so you're not allowed to carry a lot of baggage with you. Like, you know, right away, what is unessential and what you don't need and what is baggage and what you're carrying around that you're not going to be able to use. And so when I lived my life that way for several months, living out of a suitcase and came home, I was like, oh my gosh, why do I have so much stuff? Because it all felt so Mm. unessential. I was like, why do I have so many Mm -hmm. throw pillows and so many tchotchkes? And that emotional tie or emotional dependence to those things was kind of severed when I was able to step Mm -hmm. away for a little bit. And so I really hope that mm-hmm. for people that are listening, that they will feel that sense of emotional yeah. lightness and freedom, because when you do, you're just able to do more with your life. You know, that with that freedom, there's so much more effectiveness that we can have in our relationships and in our workplaces. And so that's why I wanted to talk yes. about Marie, because I think the concepts are really moving and really make change possible. You're so right. And and when you're saying that, I'm one of my mentors has said to me over and over again, how you show up for one thing is how you show up for everything. So I think it's mm-hmm. so it is it's true and powerful and translatable or trans what's the word? <laughs> translatable. <laughs> <laughs> it can it can cross the lines from what you're saying. Like it, yeah, you can use this stuff to clean your house, but it's the same thing, like visualization, like getting specific. Um what you said about someday mm-hmm. people is like Oh my gosh, I can't wait to like just journal after we get off the phone. And there's, (laughs) there's so much goodness here. And what I love about what you're teaching and what you're standing for is A, that 
it's okay to acknowledge I need support from other people. I I want, I desire, I need therapy. So normalizing that conversation mm-hmm. in, in the way that you're doing, I think is so powerful. And then also this principle of there, I can take responsibility. I can zoom out. I actually can ask myself, not just 50 million people, like, does this spark joy? And is this healthy for me? Is mm-hmm. this the relationship I want? And really kind of, um, I wonder if we feel so burnt out and anxious and tired because we've kind of given the reins of our lives to others or mm-hmm. our past or or whatever that is. And so I'm just so inspired, Dr. Therese, and I just think this is so relatable and there's so much for people to just kind of like walk away and and hang their hats on um, this like super practical insight. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for your time and your heart and your vision and sharing such practical insight with me and us. Thank you so much. And I want to just share this one last thing, which is if, if people can get one thing out of this conversation, I hope it's that they start to be able to visualize in their own minds and their own hearts, you know, what they want for themselves and then where they want to go and what are the obstacles getting in the way for them. Mm. And, um, I think you'll appreciate this. I'm going to quote the Beyonce homecoming documentary. Please do. Powerful quote that I was very moved by is you can't be what you can't see. Mm -hmm. So being able to see what you want is really so important to be able to get there. And so to take the time to do that for yourself is really powerful. I just love that quote in the documentary. Did that one hit you too? Yes, girl. I know exactly where you're talking about it in there. And I Mm -hmm. just, it's one of, it like stopped you. You're like, yeah, like Mm -hmm. it just feels true because it is. Yeah. Because in the, in the documentary, they were talking about representation, right? Being able to see ourselves in others, but also, and that's so important, but being able to see our own path for ourselves also is such a key part of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time and your, your insight. And if there is any way that people can connect with you, do you have, do you have space in your calendar for more clients? Like how can people follow along with your journey and get in contact with you? (laughs) I do accept some clients on a limited basis. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm grateful that the practice is pretty full, but I encourage people to reach out to me, even if it's just to talk about this episode Mm -hmm. or ask questions. And so my main way of connecting with people is on Instagram. My account is at exploring.therapy. And my website, if they want to learn more about me or reach out that way or email me is exploringtherapy.com. So great. Well, thank you so much. And I can't wait to, I hope to see you soon before you go to Portugal. <laughs> I got to stop in New York. Yeah, but yeah you, you have to come visit me. Oh That's what gosh, I tell people. That Just would come be amazing. Me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. This was so fun. Oh, I'm so glad it was so fun. Okay. Talk to you soon. Okay. Take care, babe. Okay, bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Refined Collective Podcast. I want you to know that this project of mine is such a labor of love and it wouldn't be possible without you, without your support, without your encouragement, without your feedback. So if you have a minute and you are enjoying this podcast, if you are an avid follower, or maybe this is the first episode you're listening to and you loved it, go to iTunes search the refined collective podcast and subscribe. 
And if you're feeling even some extra love, I would love to ask you to write a review for us. Now, this helps us get to more eyes, to get to more people. It kind of acts as like an SEO for podcasts. So if you have a minute, go find us on iTunes or on your podcast app, search The Refined Collective, subscribe, and rate and review us. It would mean the world to us. Next, if you are new here, maybe you've listened for a long time and there's topics, questions, comments, concerns that you have about what we're up to, follow us on Instagram, The Refined Woman. Send me a DM and I will get back to you and let me know what you want to hear about. Let me know what you want to talk about. And I would love to make that happen for you. Have such a fabulous day. (laughs) Bye.